If you would, please um, take your copy of God's Word and open up to Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. If you're using a, a pew Bible, it's on page 188. Joshua 13, verses 1 through 14. This is the reading of God's Word. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Eshkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And those of Avim, in the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Misrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sahan, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites and the Mechathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Silica. All the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Asheroth and in Edrai, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Mechathites, but Geshur and Mechath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him again in prayer. Father, you are an almighty God that land is, is your creation. Land is just what you hold before you in your pastime. Father, as we talk about land tonight, as we talk about inheritance tonight, I ask that you grip our hearts with this text, that you don't allow our minds to wander to what tomorrow holds or what the week holds or what the summer holds, but that you keep us here in this text. And Father, I ask that you use this text to prick our hearts so that we may see how faithful and beautiful you are. All this I give to you in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. In February 1945, um, when they were confident of an allied victory, 
FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin met together um, to discuss the reorganization of post-World War II Europe. They realized that you know, much of the territory was devastated by the war. Some countries didn't have leaders anymore, and so they met at what came to be known as the Yalta Conference. And yet the, the interesting thing about this conference was that the war wasn't over. It was still four months before Germany would surrender, and yet they had already begun dividing up the land to set a plan in place. They still had four months of fighting, and yet the plan of land allocation was put in place. And that's kind of where we find ourselves tonight, because we've spent the last couple months learning about conquest. You know, we've had great battles with Joshua and the Lord going before the Israelites and them conquering some of the promised land, but not all of the promised land. And yet, we get to chapter 13, and there's a shift. There's a, a partition, a break in the book of Joshua. No longer are we concerned about conquest, but we're now concerned about dividing up land that isn't even under Israel's control. And so that's where we find ourselves tonight. For the next eight chapters, God is going to instruct Joshua how to correctly divide up the promised land for an inheritance, to give them their promised inheritance. And I know what some of you guys might be thinking, especially after I just read our text tonight, where we have eight more chapters of this? And I understand you know, when we read about these tribes and clans and mountains and rivers and places we've never heard of, it's kind of hard to relate to. And the glaze might start to build and the jaw starts to slacken, but it is important. And it's going to be great. Like, we're, I, I, had to, I had to prepare for this sermon. I initially was like, oh, okay. But I have now come to love Joshua 13, 1 through 14. And I hope you do tonight, because it, it's not just about the land and the places, but it's showing God's faithfulness. And so, not only do we read about the places, but I want you to think about Israel. For 50 years, they've been wandering and fighting army after army, and now Joshua is saying, you have a place to go to. You don't have to be on the run anymore. You don't have to fight anymore. You have a place that is your own. It's like the, the old phrase, there's no place like home. You know, after a long trip, even if the trip was great, you unpack the car, you sit down, and, and it just feels good. Well, that's what the Israelites are getting a small taste of. And so, while we can't directly relate to them, I want you to see that this is beautiful. What God is giving to them is wonderful. And he cares about where you pitch your tent and where you lay your head. God is fulfilling his promise to his people by providing them rest. However, our first, the first verse of our text isn't super restful. In fact, it's kind of discouraging. Let's read it again. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. It's almost like that coworker or neighbor that stops by and looks at you. 
man, you got a lot of work left to do. And it's kind of getting late. You know, it's, it comes across almost obtuse and, and you just, really? That's, that's what you want to know? But the author does, is making a point. Joshua is old and his time is coming to an end. But just because Joshua's time is coming to an end doesn't mean everything's been accomplished. I think we like, you know, a neat bow to be tied on things. We expect Joshua to die and all the promised land to be conquered. And yet that's not what we have. Because it builds a natural tension when we're left asking the question, well, what's next? Who, who is going to conquer this land? Which brings us to our first point. God uses finite people in his long story of redemption. God uses finite people in his long story of redemption. Last week, as many of you know, Dr. Harry Reeder passed away on Thursday. Dr. Tim Keller passed away on Friday. And um, a Scottish theologian and pastor, Donald McLeod, passed away on Sunday. Um, you guys may not be as familiar with Donald McLeod, but he served in the ministry for 60 years. Um, one of his obituaries labeled him as um, the people's pastor in, in Scotland. And he, w- and he was a pastor, but he was also a phenomenal theologian. Um, he, he taught some of my professors, including Dr. Ligon Duncan. And yet, all three of these men, titans of the faith, this phrase could have been applied to them. They had resumes that could have touched the ground, and yet you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess could have applied to them. God uses finite people in his long story of redemption. But it doesn't just apply to the great spiritual leaders and pastors and titans. It's for me and you, too. You see, we stand in a long line of Christians for the last 2,000 years, week in and week out on Sunday, praying, reading Scripture, studying the text, singing songs of praise and fellowship with other believers, each, each of us hoping and expecting Christ to return in our lifetime. And that's just since Christ's earthly ministry, 2,000 years. But think about all the redemptive history. From Genesis 3 to May 28, 2023, at 6.40 p.m., since the very beginning, or almost the very beginning, creation's been waiting for the end, for consummation, for his long story redemption to be completed. And i got to be honest, I don't think about this very often. I'm busy caught up with school and, and family and life and work and running around and uh, just tired. I mean, I, you don't really have time to think about time, you know? But when you do steal a moment to think about history on the grand scale, I think it, it shrinks us, it minimizes us, and magnifies God. It forces us to realize the fact that we're really not at the center of the universe. And I know we know that. We're, we're good Christians. Um, 
And we know the Bible or the Sunday school answer that we're not at the center of the universe. But sometimes we just act like we are. We think about our lives very linearly. But we will die. And, you know, those that are in Christ will have glory on the other side. And that is beautiful. But in terms of redemptive history, will most likely just be a tick on a timeline. We are so incredibly finite and small, and sometimes thinking about it, it can fill you just kind of a weird feeling, maybe a little anxious, feeling small. It's not something we're used to. But I think this text shows us that we shouldn't feel anxious or worried about being finite, but actually filled with joy. Read with, read with me verse 6, starting in the middle. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. You see, in the previous verses, verses 2 through 5, God lists all the places that still need to be conquered. As a, like a growing checklist, task after task after task. And does he leave Joshua by saying, well, get to work? No. He says, I will do this. God uses finite people in his long story redemption. But it's not dependent on each one of us. God is at work. Isaiah magnificently captures just the, the magnitude of God in Isaiah 40 when he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Our God is infinite and we are finite and he desires for us not to look at all the needs that need to be done but for us to find rest in knowing that he is going to accomplish his good work. That he has not forgotten you. And so the tension that I mentioned earlier of what happens next is answered. That he is going before us and has secured Israel's inheritance and you and I's inheritance. Which brings us to our second and final point. I didn't have three points. It's actually a question, though, because I think questions sometimes hang in our head a little longer than just a point. So do you know your inheritance? Do you know your inheritance? Now, most scholars agree that this section of Scripture would have served two purposes. It would have served the first, which we've already kind of talked about, of providing a reassurance for the, um, for the Israelites of God's care and provision. But the second would have been a more practical use. They would have used this text in the next eight chapters to say, this is my land, this is my well, or this is the land that I can build my house on. And if there was ever any dispute, they would have said, look, here in Joshua, it shows that this is our land, our tribe can, can be here. 
And we understand this concept of land being identified as ours or yours. But I don't want to I don't want you to forget the big elephant in the room when it comes to this land. It's not theirs to give away. They don't own it yet. They haven't conquered it yet. And so we're left with the question of well how can you give me land that you don't own? That you haven't conquered? And how do I know this is actually going to happen? So this is where the Israelites find themselves asking these questions and ultimately it comes down to faith that Joshua must continue in faith and divide up the land that they have not conquered yet. And the people must have faith that God will go before them and deliver it to them. But if we're not careful with this text, again, getting lost in all the, the people and the places and things, we can miss a huge reassurance. It happens in verses 8 through 12. You see, that land, they do own. They have conquered. And God is reminding Joshua, the same way I delivered you there, I will deliver you here. And so for a quick refresher, it happens all in Numbers 32, which I know you guys are experts on, so I don't know why I'm doing this, but refresher. The Israelites are making their way up, headed north on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they encounter two kings, King Sahon and King Og. Both of them fight against Israel, and yet Israel overcomes them. But God fights for them, and they, they, they prevail. And yet, when they prevail, tribes Reuben, Gad, and half of um, Manasseh look around and say, you know, this land is pretty good for cattle. So I think we're just going to hang out here. And so they asked Moses, instead of the promised land being our inheritance, can we have this land? And Moses says, on one condition, if you and your men of valor, your soldiers, come and fight with us, then you can have this land. But you have to come fight with us first. And Deuteronomy 3 captures this and shows just how reassuring this is. Listen. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as to you, and they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan, then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So you see, if we're not careful and we just skip over verses 8 through 12 and don't understand the significance of what's happening, we miss that this is a huge, wonderful reminder to Joshua saying, hey, you remember? You remember how you already have land? How God fought for you? He's going to do it again. And so that's why with Joshua could say with full assurance, the Lord fights for you the same way he fought for, us, fought for us against King Sahan and King Og. We must have faith. Now, the, the, these verses do a great job of answering the question, do you know your inheritance for the Israelites? You know, it, it clearly points out you're gonna, your inherit, inheritance is here. But how does it relate to us? 
Does it relate to us? And I would say yes, it does. Because land is, this land is just a sign. It's just a pointer. You see, this is not in the moment in the sermon where I start, all right, you know, now you guys get this small portion in the Middle East, because one, that's not true, and that would also cause issues. But this land points to something far greater. This is just a, a type to use that word. Because even the promised land, even though it was the land of promise, the land that they had been waiting for for so long, it's not like when they crossed the Jordan, this land was not under the fall. That it wasn't hard to plow. That it wasn't filled with sinful people. This land points to something greater. And Peter hits it on the, on the head of the nail when he says, your inheritance is something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So do you know your inheritance? This is not the promised land of the Israelites that is still under the curses of the fall. No, this land is the true land of rest and completion, where there is no sadness, where there is no death, where there is no... This is the inheritance of those who are in Christ. And now for many of you, this is, you know this. We know that heaven, when we are finally in glory face to face with the God Almighty and unable to talk in awestruck wonder, we know this. And yet, I still ask the question, do you know your inheritance? Because Jesus is very poignantly points out, do not lay up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are we storing up treasures in this life as if what's to come won't blow that all the way? This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, Memorial Day is meant for something much more important, but it signifies to most of the country that it's the start of summer. In fact, on the way here, I mean, I was driving by the reservoir and there were so many boats on the, on the water. It's the start of summer. It's, it's our season of rest and relaxation, and yet oftentimes we pack it so full with things that it's really not restful nor relaxing. We go on vacations and come back tired. Our, camps, our kids go to camps and are run ragged. Church becomes less of an importance over the summer. And I'm not saying these things because summer's a bad thing or vacation's a bad thing or camp's a bad thing. Some of my fondest memories are during those periods of my life. But I want to urge you and plead with you that you don't make those 
what you look forward to. You don't look for your inheritance to be in the summer or the next trip or the next thing. You fill in the blank of your own heart. Because the Lord has prepared your inheritance since the beginning of time. Let that sink in. Even the greatest vacation ever planned has what been planned for a couple years. Christ says in Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Are we being distracted by the vanities of this world? Do you know your inheritance? But just like Joshua and the Israelites who are left looking at all the remaining land to conquer and ultimately inherit, we're left with the question, that little voice that's like, well, how do we know we're going to get that land? And I said it's faith. And this is where we have a, maybe even a leg up on the, on the Israelites. Because we have scriptures filled with the promises and fulfillments. But even greater than that, we have Christ, who is the ultimate fulfiller, our guarantor of our inheritance. It's by Christ's blood that we are heirs. It's by Christ's death that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. It is by Christ's once and for all act of atonement that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you know and believe that the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and was resurrected, you are an heir. So when I ask you, do you know your inheritance? Do you know Christ? Be at peace if that is true. And if not, if you find, your, find yourself asking, this is the first time I've heard of this, or maybe this is the thousandth time, and I'm still not sure, have confidence knowing you have a Savior who has paid it all. Ransom, ransomed, and free are you. But look forward to what's ahead. And so thinking about our first point, that we are finite on a long story of redemption, and asking the question, do we know our inheritance? How do those fit together? Well, I think Paul goes on to this. He understood that we're still finite, that we're still going to die. And at some point, all of us are going to die. And yet our guaranteed inheritance in Christ should give us a different perspective on this life. Paul in Philippians 2, talking about the resurrection we have in Christ, says, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that his inheritance lay before him. And yet, that changed his entire perspective. 
of how he lived. He understood where he was headed. He wasn't trying to make his inheritance now. And that's what I would urge for you today. I understand you are finite, but you're going to something eternal. And that is beautiful. Be filled with the hope knowing your God has fought and won and is just waiting to call you home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us an inheritance that is beyond all measure, that we do not deserve, that we do not even, in some regards, understand how wonderful it will be. And yet, I ask that you use this text to continue to propel us on to a desire to be with you, to desire our inheritance, and so that it shapes how we live. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.